0: What brands really speak to you? What gives them the edge over their competitors? Kate Hamilton, co-founder of Sondra Intel, an exceptional communication agency, has a lot to say on this. The problem isn't that there are too many brands. The problem is that there are too many brands without a story that expresses who they really are. Sonder & Tell, a name which alone provokes the imagination. Kate and her team work with brands from all sectors. But within the food and beverage space, their influence has meant that Mindful Chef and Rude Health have been able to convey their stories more effectively. Very impressive since Sonder & Tell only was created in 2018. So, I'm Joshua Patterson, and this is a Service Please episode, where we're gonna talk about brand storytelling and who does it really well. So I think we're sort of on the idea of passion in life, and when you develop as a person, you sort of, I don't know really. For me, it was like within food, I always had this like affinity and love like watching Jamie Oliver on the TV and I just absolutely used to love it and used to go home or being at home and like getting these things and practicing and I can remember his restaurant opened in Oxford and I was like studying at Portsmouth at the time and I was like I've got to get this job I've got to get this job I need to be learning and being involved and like in the mixer and just like developing myself more within that kind of space and I just like found so many people that I loved and care about and it was just fantastic and For you, I'd just be really intrigued to know, like, was it a similar journey with, like, literature and writing and reading that, like, from a particular point, you were just like, I'm just in awe of this and I just need to, like, embrace it and just be within it?
1: I'm not sure that there was one moment. I kind of can't remember a time when I wasn't into that and wasn't sort of processing things through language and stories. And I just, growing up, I was... maybe slightly like indoorsy child <laughs> like wasn't that into the kind of ball sports <laughs> sort of world I mean even now someone throws me a ball I'm like panic it goes through me so it was much more um you know inside reading after school and it was just like always such a pleasure and I think it was kind of the world building element of it and total escapism that I really enjoyed um and I think my parents really encouraged it as well um I was thinking about this the other day because I almost think it was a way for them to be like oh go and do this but i remember one time my dad's irish and we were in ireland on a family holiday and um for whatever reason the train (laughs) broke down um and we'd been there for like an hour kids were getting really stressed Um, and my dad was like okay why don't you why don't you write a story about it (laughs) it was actually such a good tactic from him being like here's a notebook and pen why don't you write a story about the experience rather than annoy us so um yeah I think I was always reading kind of writing things in notebooks recording things um I also had a radio show um, which was just me kind of saying things into cassettes and intervie- interviewing like my Beanie Babies and things like that. So I think it was always that, um, yeah, enjoyed kind of reading, writing, recording and having kind of imaginary conversations with people too. Please
0: tell me that you've put, put the cassettes like onto onto something and you have them somewhere, <laughs> no it's just no like way. a monologue no of you being like, now. so where are you going? Like? <laughs> like putting
1: on all these different accents, yeah. <laughs> I need to, with the kind of, yeah, I had this like daisy, daisy reset recorder, but yeah, it was fun.
0: I love that. I love that. So I guess really um, there's so many bodies of work from like incredible people and I'm sure there's lots of them that inspire you and they have individual pieces that you just probably go back to time and time again. So is there anything in particular about any writer that really draws you in, that you can like reference or think
1: of for you? That... Mm. I think with any kind of story that I like, it's it's the kind of world building element. So that, that kind of painting a picture of a um, scene or a place where when you read it, you're just transported somewhere else. And it's not just literature either, you know, you can get it from movies or a piece of music, I watched Dune the other day and I was like, absolutely obsessed.
0: Oh my God. <laughs> yeah,
1: and as you know, and like, I just wanna be in it. Um, so that kind of like real creation of magical worlds, I think um, was what initially got, it drew me to storytelling and still does today. And I mean, it's relevant in a brand context too, and we'll get onto that later. Um, I think in terms of specific writers who do that, Well, I don't think that to create a world with language, you need to kind of be overly verbose or like wordy necessarily. I actually am more drawn to things, people who write in quite a kind of sparse, like pared back way. I guess someone like Sally Rooney or um, I really like short stories for that, like really like Lydia Davis, another writer called Lucia Berlin, who have kind of quite short, punchy sentences. And it's almost like things happen between the lines and it's not um, overly descriptive or flowery and I think it kind of sets the scene in this way that then lets your imagination fill in the in-betweens and again I think that sort of relates to copywriting and what I do now because in general the rules like if you can say it or achieve what you want to achieve and build the emotion you want to build with fewer words and that's probably the um, best way to do it so things that aren't overdone um, but convey enough emotion for you to then take it get a sense of the world and then make it your own too.
0: Amazing. So two points. I was I was going to ask. Do you ever um, read literature of people from a different language that's been translated into English, and if there ever is like if that brings out a different kind of energy for you when you're Mm. in that kind of space? Because it's something I've I've never done, if I'm being completely honest. But I wondered wondered if you if you see cultural changes within language and stuff like that in written word.
1: Oh, that's a good question. I did. I mean, I did. um, I studied Spanish at university, so I. Um, would have to read text in Spanish, but the reality was that that was quite heavy going. So sometimes you'd have the English translation as well to kind of compare it. And yeah, I guess you do lose. Um, and what actually is really interesting in that is that you know you can see different translations of a same text, and they've been done very differently. So part of it is a like quite a practical act of what's the um, form of the verb and what's the right. Um, structure of the sentence but then it's also a kind of creative act and like how would i take that emotion from spanish and convey it in english so yeah i think there are all those questions when things get translated that um it's like one part science practicality and then one part emotion and left up to kind of interpretation of the translator
0: yeah and then on june i (laughs) i literally sat in the cinema and it finished and i was like i could sit here just Me until too. the next one comes Me i was too. like i was like i could literally I just sit same. here was, and wait I, like, so I, I, like, I was
1: so like, sad i was
0: like was it 9 months like i'm like i got this i got I this and it was a long
1: story as well uh. i also feel like it's because they really the um, trailer really trolled us cuz like zendaya was not really in it or she's in it for like the last 10 yeah. minutes or whatever and then she comes on and you're like is that it is that all we get of you <laughs> Honestly,
0: I just was like, wow. Hurry up, June. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So, also for me, um, I can remember the first time I met you and you told me about what you were doing and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. That's really cool. And then I Googled you and then I Googled basically what Sonderbent and it just like blew my mind and transported (laughs) me. So I'd really, really love to know like how you came across it and how you decided that name, really?
1: Yeah, so it was a bit of a journey. Um, So Sondra & Tell is the agency I run which helps brands tell their stories better and there's a big emphasis on kind of verbal identity and making sure you get your words and your story straight before you start talking. So naturally, if you're... Placing a lot of emphasis on words, then naming your own business is quite a stressful act because you're like, okay, we've got to really get this name. It's couldn't even be good. think of that. Yeah, so we spent a lot of time um, yeah. back and forth. I posted a like WhatsApp between my business partner Emily and myself the other day, and some of the things we threw out were terrible. One was like sermon, one was like conversation. It was all very confusing. Anyway, so then um, I think my first friends in our circle sort of knew that we were just stressing out about it. And my friend sent me this word, um, Sonder, and there was this um, American linguist called John Koenig who'd um, spent a lot of time making up words for obscure human emotions that didn't have language to them yet. And one of those words was Sonder, and he defined it as the moment of realization that um, everyone around you has their own story. So it's something I experienced quite a lot on um, if you take the bus and you know you're sitting there and it's a full a full bus and you're like oh that person gets sad or I wonder what they're thinking about um, and that kind of realization that everyone around you is living out their own well their own story their own life um, in their own way so we really like the word and then I guess the idea is that everyone's got their own story and we help them tell it. Um, Someone the other day, we're working with a Swedish graphic designer at the moment, and he also told me that Sonder means broken <laughs> in Swedish, which was, well, I didn't know that. And I was like, okay, we'll, we'll help you fix everything. Um, but yeah, that was the story of Sonder and i
0: Love it. Yeah, no, so the story is, I can remember doing it and <clears throat> Googling it and be like, oh my God, that's what it means. And it transported me. I remember like sitting in the car as a child and like the radio going on and being at the traffic lights and looking at someone in the car next to me and then they would drive off in a different direction. Like, honestly, like bamboozled my mind that their life was as intricate as an exciting or like dynamic as mine, but I would never know them or be yeah. part of them. And I was just like, that was just wild. So like when you said, when you said, I was like, that's a very good name. Yeah,
1: <laughs> so they're turning right and you're turning left. And yeah. like, have a nice life, yeah. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>
0: For you, do you have to like, do you go back to all of the things in which you love when it comes to like reading, storytelling, writing um, to be able to actually express yourself, to be able to keep that momentum to take into like your work and things like that?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I think you start off doing something because you love it and you find it exciting. And then as something grows, which is what you set out to achieve, then you do start having to. um. I don't know well now my job is more kind of delegating and making sure my team are happy and making sure my team can carry out the work in the, the right way and it's more it's much more of a kind of management strategic creative problem solving piece um and I do sometimes miss just the creativity of not having that pressure um but I think it's yeah giving yourself time like making those moments for yourself um and I still you know if there's a If there's quite a big pitch I like getting involved in the kind of storytelling of that part and the creativity of that and also it's really nice to see you know you facilitating other people to be creative in that way um and yeah not getting too bogged down in the admin side because there's a lot of it so I guess if I have I'll try and get through that in a morning and then have more of a kind of um thinking afternoon where I can kind of let ideas percolate and then um bring them back to the team and find a way of making them happen
0: and do you ever like sit on a train and hope for a delay so that you can write some stories about people on the train like
1: yeah i i'm not writing that much at the moment which does make me sad but i feel like it'll come it's just like i'm taking a break there'll be a time when there's more space for it um i did do a writing like a short story course a couple of years ago at goldsmiths in the evening which was so nice because right, right. it kind of makes you i guess it gives you the structure for actually being creative whereas you've just left your own devices then you know go and watch June or something
0: <laughs> no I think yeah that's that's a really really valid point that is a really valid point I think structure is so important within a creative framework and I think yeah you can just go on tangents and that's actually like compounding it and like seeing it through and understanding how to get to that end point of it and stuff like that
1: yeah and I don't think you know there's not the best stories are strategic as well and that's kind of where we've grown into it at Sonder and Tal because we started off being much more about kind of applicational copy and helping people write good um, websites or products or blogs or editorial content and and we've ended up getting much more involved in earlier stage brand strategy and helping them shaping what they want to be the role they want to play for customers and the position they're going to take in the market and traditionally that's done in quite sort of like a formulaic way of like brand matrixes and diagrams and actually we were like if you take a strategy um, or take a market position and tell a story with it then there's real power in that and you can get your whole team excited about it. You can use it to filter down, um, not just how you're talking to your customers, but how you're talking to potential talent, people you're hiring. If you're early stage business, it can shape like the investor deck that you're putting in front of investors. Um, So yeah, I don't think, you know, it's it's not as black and white as strategies here and stories here actually in reality, you want them to be working together and achieving. business objectives and creative brand objectives at the same time
0: yeah and I think just making everything really cohesive I think I can really relate to the idea of having people on board the team and actually then believing and understanding what it is that you are trying to convey and communicate I think sometimes when you are a little bit I don't know like that creative mind or you're like this is what I want to do in your head you're like I know exactly where it's going and what's happening actually how often are you communicating it in a really concise way mm. to other people? So having someone or a strategist or a team like yourselves come in and be like, all of that like stuff going on there, if we can put it into a way that can just be a formula for everyone to then understand, I think that makes a lot of sense really. Mm. One of the things that I wanted to have a conversation is like, uh, I've been quite lucky to like travel the world and everything. And when you do so, and Language, you re- w- one of the first things in which I realised when I travel the world is everyone in the world doesn't speak English. Which is quite a, which is quite an eye-opener for me if I was being honest. I was like, I need water, man. Like, what's going on here? Like, I was, yeah, yeah, I've come a long way. But... Um,
1: Google Translate.
0: Google, <laughs> no, it was before. Like, I can remember I had a Blackberry when I was... We- like, this is the craziest thing. I can remember travelling for a year solo and it was like absolutely fascinating and like, it, was a, it was a different life, I, was con- I did biomedical science and I was like maybe I wanna be a doctor but my grades weren't good enough so I was like I needed to go and volunteer. So I volunteered in hospitals in South America for six months and it was pretty wild. But I can remember like I was in Quito and I went up to this convenience store and I was like can I have some water? And they were like I don't know what you mean. And it had bollards so you couldn't get into the shop to be able to like get it because obviously it's quite a violent place. So, I just had to like walk in 30 degree heat without any water, and I was just like. Sweaty. I, it was very sweaty. I was like, I've just got to learn another language. <laughs> <laughs> I now know it's Agua, by the way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Por favor. laughs>
0: exactly. But one of the ways in which I was able to communicate with people was through eating and like people sharing food. I'd be at a house and like house sharing, or I can actually even remember there was a group of like junior doctors where. I would be working in the A&E and then they would take me to parties and we'd do stuff and it was always around food in which I'd gather around a table and that would be their way of expressing. And I was wondering for you, can you see any rhymes within storytelling, within food and the way in which you do stuff?
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, I think food, yeah, like as to your point, is a form of kind of self-expression and communication and the kind of, I guess, when you're planning a... um, a meal or a dinner or something for people you care about you're going through like a a kind of strategy phase (laughs) so you're like oh what's the mood what do I what do I want to put on the table and then there's like a kind of creative phase where you're like oh do I fancy this or that or like what's the emotion um I think when I'm planning food it's more like what's the feeling or like the mood that you want to create and then working backwards from that so is it then like going into a certain type of cuisine or a certain style of like is it sharing plates or um like little dishes that you're all picking from. Yeah. So I guess it is all like, how you want to make people around you feel, which is also what stories are doing, like creating emotion for people and kind of shed experience
0: completely and I think like even setting the scene so whether it would be like music or like the lighting yeah. and like how all of that like would you have a tablecloth to be able to display a different kind of sophistication or actually something a little bit more rustic depending on I don't know there's like loads of ways of like yeah. that kind of thing to be able to have it but yeah no definitely, definitely that's so
1: true actually yeah the way you lay the table and what music you're pushing on kind of yeah, that's the scene for all the story that we're about to create
0: potentially yeah I think Always, whenever I speak to you, you're just extremely um, humble with I think what you've achieved in the space of time which Sondra and Tal's been around, and um, you like look at some of the work in which you've done. And Rude Health has been one of your clients, <clears throat> Mindful Chef before, didn't really have a form of positioning story or even a tone of voice, and you have made that happen. And now, for me, I look at it like, you know, On the Table was an, ex- it, it, it still is an incredible project in which I'm really looking forward to take forward. Um So I would look at something like Mindful Chef and it's like, that's an incredibly successful brand that's getting into a lot of people's homes and doing great things. So I'd just be intrigued, obviously, that's big brands. But if I was like someone that's started a passion and a love, and I'm like, oh my God, I've like, formulating a business here and I'm understanding it and I need to be able to communicate more effectively to the people that I, I don't know, that are my community, Mm. really. Like, when should people really start be thinking about their positioning in that sense? When should they, like, be creating a tone of voice or how do they even find what their tone is? And also, yeah, being able to display those stories. Does it have to always be with written word? Can it be via, you know, social media and those kind of things, really?
1: Mm. Yeah, one of the things we say at Sondra and Tell when people are starting to think about brands, it's a question we get asked a lot, is when should we do this? And we would say brand early rather than often. So as soon as you have the resource to start brand building, do it. Um, And the reason is that it's so competitive at the moment, especially in the food space, the barriers to entry are lower than ever. You can get capital to start something relatively easier, Um, relatively easy, sorry, which is a positive thing but it's also made it a lot harder to get cut through and to win in a category or a space essentially and actually the ones that go the distance are the ones that have the best brand and are selling something beyond just a product and actually have you know managed to connect with customers through a sense of shared um, identity and values as well Um, and when you're starting to think about brand you've got to really start with the customer and the problem that you're solving for them. So, um, and it's it's never just like, oh, I wanted water to be fizzy, so we made fizzy water. It's more like, what it, what is the mindset that they're struggling with and how can we kind of tap into that? Um, and then building a brand and an identity that that speaks to that. So with On The Table at the time, it was, um, very much about this person who really wants a way to support independence and wants to feel like they're kind of championing proper produce, um, but doesn't necessarily have the time or the know-how to source that for themselves. And so that, and then that became this whole brand belief in kind of um, doing things for independence and this tone of voice that kind of mirrored the, um, you know, the local butcher or the baker um, and creating that kind of sense of real connection with, with people, so it wasn't just these meal kits and experiences which are amazing but the sense of like real people behind it um yeah and i guess again we did rude health positioning and that was more about defining their real difference in a category that's quite crowded obviously they had oatly taking up quite a lot of space and their ownable difference was like their their product and the the depth of flavor of that so built out this kind of brand world about the bright way to be healthy rather than the right or wrong way. Um, and again, your positioning can shift a little bit depending on new business objectives. Mindful Chef was going into retail, so they had slightly different objectives that they wanted to then hit with their tone of voice. But you're kind of, um, yeah, the what you're about and the values in the world you're trying to build, you wanna define that as early as possible and then build out from there. And, you know, we start with words at Sondra and Tal, but not at all saying that that's the end point of your brand comms like they should be the kind of um blueprint I guess for other activations whether it's video or you know campaigns and advertising
0: yeah you've hit a really interesting point I think starting early but within within the food world I've I've seen such a change where there used to only be you know a few people and now you said it is saturated and it is that point of difference and bringing a true experience I think to to the culinary culinary thing and you know, there's burgers everywhere. And I know for a fact that people are getting the meat from the same person, they're getting the cheese from the same person, the bread from the same person. So what actually is it that one is delivering that's different from others? And I think within the food space, that's actually where there's gonna be a lot of drop off in the next few years. And I think there actually will be a few big contenders that are able, and it probably will be the people that get some capital and investment are able to actually Amplify their voice a little bit more and be able to reach more people and stuff like that
1: Yeah, but not just the investment because you have to then have the brand to be able to leverage that investment Otherwise, mm. you're just getting money and like probably pumping it into improving the product but without you know And investors more and more want to see evidence of brand early as well before mm. investing um, Yeah, and re- I mean it's interesting for restaurants too. I was thinking about this the other day like who I actually kind of follow and um, like engage with as a brand beyond just enjoying eating there. So I really like um Vadis and St. John's Newsletter, And both of them. They almost have this kind of um, like the aspirational target customer, something we talk about at Sondra and Tell quite a lot and asp- aspiration can be quite a loaded word because it has kind of connotations of wealth and things that are exclusive. And I don't know if you've watched that Abercrombie & Fitch documentary, have you watched that recently? No. But it kind of, it, got used very negatively there because they were essentially building this very exclusive um, brand that only really resonated with a very select group of of people and yeah and build like you don't so if you think of your customer not in terms of demographics like oh they're 28 and they live here but more in terms of the mindset that you want to create for them and I think uh, Quo Vadis and St John do that really well. Quo Vadis especially, like I feel when I go in there, like I'm this like eccentric <laughs> booty and like this part of like old world Soho, and I'm not at all. And then when I read these newsletters, I'm like, ooh, like it's all a bit dandy and fabulous, fabulous. You know what I mean? And they're like marketing to that. And um, yeah, we were talking about it on our team the other day. Like Harley Davidson's aspirational customer is the last American cowboy. In reality, ninety percent of their audience are middle-aged dentists who live in Florida but for the five minutes that they ride their motorbike they are the last American cowboy and that's kind of what I feel like with someone like Quo Vadis I'm like oh I'm so unusual and eccentric and foodie and anyway they do a really good job of kind of catering to this mindset um and building a world out through that
0: yeah 100 100 I think those are two really good references I was just been in St John's this week again it was just like um, it's quite funny, Rory, um, who I interviewed at the beginning of this whole series, he had a book published, and one of the things that was catalyzed while he was having dinner at St. John's, so I basically did a bit of a, like, a book in situ kind of thing and like, had a meal to myself, and it was like really amazing, and it was just like, i was just been reading up even more on St. John's, and it's just like, the story behind it was mm-hmm. just phenomenal, um, and even the way in which it continues to be displayed, um, it's just fantastic and I think yeah exactly what you're saying it's like really just enriching what mm-hmm. it is beyond and I think yeah two great references there. I'm going to be completely honest with you I'm not and haven't always been like the most advocate reader in my life like mm-hmm. when it comes to books and stories and I think I've been absorbed information particularly like a different way mm-hmm. um, and it's something which I am trying to get to and like being able to bring it into my life but I also am very aware that I think potentially the younger generation are being deterred even male- more away from like reading stories, short form, all of these kind of things. And they're actually going into a more social media kind of basis. So for you, when you're thinking about Sondra and moving forward, is that something in which, um social media can be like an integral part of the conversation and the journey when you're speaking with new new clients and things like that or is it something in which you try to lean a little bit more away from or how do you how do you approach it
1: no we definitely don't lean away from it it's, it's like a seriously um important channel for the brands that we work with we're not um content strategy specialists so we're mm. much more the upfront obsess over the upfront brand strategy and what you want to stand for. Um, But that's something we're going to look at doing more of is then how that filters down into content strategy and the specific channels that you need to be engaging with. Um, yeah. And I mean, you and I were at an event the other day and a lot of the conversation was on TikTok and I was like, yeah, I mean, you can't not think about that now, even starting as a brand, especially if you're trying to appeal to a younger demographic, which brands will be increasingly. So, um, yeah all up for storytelling on on social media and I guess that's one of the things we do think about is like this is a you know sometimes brand strategy gets very deep and lofty and let's say it's about a feeling of belonging and it's like okay so let's test that against certain channels and make sure that it can be then brought down into something that's relatable on an everyday basis so Airbnb's brand strategy is well that tag is belong anywhere like that is fundamentally it's about humans want to belong and when they travel they want to Belong to the places they're visiting, but then they bring it kind of down to earth in these very friendly and relatable um, ad campaigns, which go out across social. So yeah, we do keep we do keep that in mind, and we'll do more and more moving forward.
0: Yeah, no, I think that yeah, the conversation the other day when we were at the Courier event, it was wild. Everyone like even even the panel um, host was you know referring to amount of views that they'd had on something, and like that was their form of you know mm. medium and stuff like that. And it was really fascinating as well. I think, you know, there was a conversation about the idea of celebrity chefs and even I referred at the beginning to this like Jamie Oliver and how I found that so appealing. And now you have people that are able or were able to just cook at home through the pandemic and they've gone from zero followers up into now a brand of themselves basically doing recipes. And it's like how do now they communicate in a more, um, I don't know, potentially a more effective way. Maybe it's actually like, reverse doing the situation so actually it's like the social media and then going to more the you know more maybe traditional forms of communication with within strategy and things like that
1: but i think this the social media strategy has to be guided by something that's a little bit more permanent so i think it has to come it has to be coming from this like quite rooted brand place and then seeing social media as a channel rather than yeah but it doesn't always happen like that i guess because some brands do start on social media but at some point i think it needs to be like yeah. Yeah.
0: But I mean like reverse engineering it. So almost like you know working from this like quite um naive native state and then yeah. being like right how can I now formulate and create something which is going to just resonate with even more people outside because social media yeah, it's, it's it's fine, but it is a generational thing and it's mm. obviously going to grow, but there's this whole swathe of people. Like I've got friends and, you know, I'm 33 now, I've got friends that are basically leaving social media. Mm. And it's like, you know, there are so many brands that are still gonna have to have a communication with them. And obviously that falls outside of that realm, like you're saying, like instead of content. So for the for those people that maybe have grown in social media, it's like they have to now access a new market and a new uh, you know what I mean? And it'll be quite yeah, interesting totally. for that.
1: I think it just comes down to understanding your, who your customer is and mm. where they're showing up. Like, are they going to interact? Is a newsletter the best way to yeah. target them? Um, if you're a DTC brand, then maybe so. Yeah, it's understanding who who exactly it is you're going after and where best to reach them and then speaking to them on those channels.
0: And I'd be intrigued just like, how does the language change when it goes like, not to get like hyper granular with different f- sections of the population, but like, have you got any like really good examples where you just think, yeah, that word is for that type of person or things like that? You know what I mean? That you go to and it's like, yeah, that's th- that's the right one.
1: Um, So I guess we're always trying to get brands out of thinking about kind of demographics. So, you know, hey. 28 to 40 here and. 40 upwards here we're trying to unite those customer bases in the that kind of aspirational mindset so what's the label what's the category you can give people beyond just their age income location um what do they care about what do they fear what do they go to bed about like um bed worrying about and that sort of thing so um and building out a label and then talking to that rather than just an age group um But yeah there's not any specific words or things like that that we throw around it's more like getting a a label for that group and then figuring out a a brand platform that will speak to them and then we kind of look at the voice afterwards once you've got the positioning in place then the voice is almost like comes quite naturally um and i think sometimes brands like do get it a bit wrong they think tone of voice can solve sort of all problems. We get quite a lot of briefs that are like, we have a X problem or we need to sound more, we need to be more challenging. Can you build us a tone of voice? And it's like, we can do that, but you have to be challenging something in order to actually sound challenging. Otherwise it's just, you know, like, throwing a bit of paint on something. Um, So yeah, it's got to come from positioning first and then the voice comes after.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, that's really really interesting. And is it a new train of thought? Actually, not putting people into demographics and things like that in your in your like in in your field kind of thing, or do you think that's actually? Oh, I don't more... know
1: the answer to that actually. Okay. Um...
0: Or it's your train of thought.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I <laughs> no, like that. I no, I like,
0: no, but I like that. Sh-
1: no, I think it is probably, it does exist, but I don't know like what the kind of, okay. yeah, the trends have been before.
0: No, I like that. I like that though. Because I because in my mind, it is like, you know, unfortunately you do just put brackets. I think it's probably because like when you go into a computer, you're just like 35 to 45 and things like that. So it's just yeah. like, it's almost like ingrained within your mind to like label but
1: people and that kind of thing. Labels, but ultimately you want to be uniting people 100%. beyond those labels and drawing them into this kind of uh, mindset
0: yeah that's why I really liked it yeah we do have to be more unified I think there's too much divisive things in this world nowadays um I've found all of this conversation like super fascinating and like just so enjoyable no it's been amazing um and I think as well for me it would just be like I'd love to open it up for you and just be like I don't know, sometimes you hear podcasts and stuff like that and it seems like quite question-based and like maybe the person's like, oh my God, there are so many things in which I would have liked to explore. So I was wondering, is there anything in which like, for you that's not been discussed that you're just like, I never get to talk about this. And like, you know what I mean in these kind of situations? Could be completely unrelated to, like, Sondra and Sour. It could be personal, I don't know. Should
1: we talk about swimming for a minute? Yeah, we could talk about swimming for a minute. That's really nice. I actually feel like a fake swimmer at the moment, though. I, I don't think I've swum all this year. I think I talk about how much I like swimming more than I actually go swimming, which I'm upset about.
0: People when people come up to me they're like, oh, my God, how's the swimming going? And in my head, I'm like, I haven't been in a pool for, like, eight months, and I'm like... I know, I'm like,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So good, it's such a good form of exercise. Yeah. And then like fraud.
0: reel off all the memories <laughs> and stuff like that. And obviously then talk about the 10K swim that we did and just still live yeah, live that through always, that.
1: Exactly. <laughs> but it's quite a big swim. So it still sums people. They're like, whoa, 10K in ear. Yeah. A pretty <laughs> <thing to> do. <laughs> but I do want to go swimming more. And now the sun's out, we should do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. hundred percent. Well, hopefully you're going to come along for the 6K swim. So we just need to get training oh, is for it that. six?
1: Yeah. We can do that. Yeah.
0: And also it's a, it's like the estuary towards the ocean. So it will be like down downstream as well. So it'll feel like fall. So yeah. basically it's just chill.
1: Yeah. I've also noticed lots of um, writers are swimmers and swimmers are writers, random thought. I don't know why that is. Maybe because it's quite meditative and quite a good way of clearing your head.
0: That's really fascinating.
1: Yeah.
0: I think that it's the conversation which I go to about swimming all the time that basically uh, yeah, you get into that rhythm and that stride. And basically, normally there's like, my head's like quite shouty sometimes. I've even said to myself today in the kitchen, I'm like, why am I shouting in my head? And it's like, like, yeah. And it's like, I feel like swimming enables the shouting to just finish. And then it's just like, you get into that like, meditative state and it's just like, all very calm. And like, then actually I find some of the best ideas I've ever had have been like, just in those moments of serenity and mm. stuff like that. I actually
1: find that I don't think at all when I'm swimming but that's quite nice in itself because because I always go and I'm like oh I'll sort out this problem and then I can't really because I'm all I can think about is like counting lengths or like remembering to breathe but actually that's almost meditation because your mind goes pretty yeah. blank yeah 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 you just focus um, on that
0: single individual thing yeah yeah no 100% Get back in that pool. yeah especially when the you know when the light is just like twinkling on it on the bottom of the, and you're just like, that's, mm. that's quite
1: nice. Poetry. That's it it <laughs> is,
0: it is. So, um, <clears throat> I'm having a bit of a common theme through all of these, and it's about a little bit of exp- exploration for me, um, about, people's restaurants in which they absolutely love and like if there's any hidden gems in which you're just like, oh, I just absolutely love this place, it's where I go to and like, I always love to share this experience with people. And also, I guess, like for you, if there is anyone that like truly inspires you in like work life or um, like personal life that you'd love to take there, like, if, mm. if, if anything comes to mind.
1: That's, I love so many restaurants. <laughs>
0: um, that's a good answer.
1: That's hard. Um, I'm going to say Campania and Jones on Columbia Road, which isn't like particularly a hidden gem or anything, but it is amazing. And I, so it was, used to be a old bakery, I think. (laughs) And um, the owner, Emma, is from um, Campania in Italy and her chefs are as well from um, Naples and around Naples. And I did a... Um, event there a few years ago with mina holland who's editor of guardian cook um to raise money for this charity called world reader um and we based it on the um neapolitan novels by elena ferrante who's that's all based in naples um so it's kind of based around those books and then we did this whole feasting menu of like amazing deep fried mozzarella and pasta and delicious sounds delicious Um, (laughs) yeah so good so i would like to take Elena Ferrante who's the author of those books but she's also anonymous so no one knows who exactly who she is they think actually she might be a German author back to your point on kind of translation um but I would love to know who she is (laughs) (laughs) and then then take her for dinner at Campania and eat deep fried mozzarella and ask her about her books.
0: I think that's a beautiful 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 story (laughs) like that was great. (laughs) Yeah, I've, I've, I've never been there. I love um, Columbia Road, it's just absolutely like a fascinating spot. I always, for some reason, used to love the market. And then there's the pub, I can't even remember the name of it at this moment in time, but they always have little stools, and I just used to like sit there with a pint of Guinness. And there was this old guy, he, and he always used to finish, he had have like Hawaiian shirts on, and like all of these like gems and stuff like that, and he would pack down outside. And I'd always have the same, not the same conversation with him, but basically just be like, oh, what's going on? And he's like, I'm off to Barbados soon. Oh. And he's like, he took like a month to Barbados. And I always just imagine like, yeah, I'm like, selling a lot of flowers, mate. And I always just imagine him with all of his like gems and like everything like that, the shirt and then just the pina colada and just being like, life is good. Oh. Um, but yeah, no, it's a great area of London. It's a great, great thing. And I have to go and check it out. That's yeah, one that we want to. It's cool. quite
1: otherworldly campagna as well. It does feel like you're in. Italy almost it's yeah just also just nice relaxed vibe.
0: I think that's also relating back to what I was saying about the experiences within food that actually is a selling point now like a lot of restaurants it feels like you walk through the door and you are completely and utterly transported Mm. like I was saying about Bruto the other day you were like oh let's go to Bruto yeah yeah Yeah. anyway um honestly it's been an absolute joy to be speaking with you today (laughs) and it's been amazing and um yeah thank you.
1: Pleasure, thank you for having me.
0: Not a problem at all. (laughs) If you could tell one other person about this podcast or even use their phone to like, follow and share, it'll be much appreciated. You can also go one step further and become a patron of the podcast via our website at www.serviceplease.io. Any monthly contributions will help amplify the voices of the hospitality and wider food industry, and enabling more people to understand the innovations and daily struggles of one of the most dynamic sectors, and of course, the tastiest.